brings back a lot of memories. Wow. Praise the Lord. Thank you for what you do. We're so blessed. So blessed to have you here. This is, this is such a privilege. Um, th- those, those days are like a, a dream. Someplace in my back, in my mind here, but to see it makes it real once again. So praise the Lord. We are in the book of Isaiah, and uh, we've got a lot to cover. Um, chapter 34, if you would uh, turn there, and I'll cover all that I can. And this evening, if we can get 34 and 35 done, then we'll keep up with the afternoon class. Isaiah is a message from God through Isaiah to the people, and it's a message of judgment. Overall, God is declaring to his people that uh, they've crossed the line. They've gone too far. They have pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. And he's going to judge them, and of course we know from history that he used the Assyrians to do it, followed by the Babylonians. And, uh, and, and, and he, he spends anywhere from a chapter to several chapters talking about this intense judgment. And out of the blue, he, he changes and says, now, now take a breath, I want you to see what it's going to be like in the future. This is what your future is going to be like, or the future available to you is going to be like. And he takes and shows them the millennium and this breath of incredible fresh air. And then he says, okay, let's go back to present reality. Well, tonight we're going to see the, the harshness of the judgment followed by the beauties of the millennium. Uh, chapter number 34 is the tribulation primarily, and chapter 35 is the millennium. So let me read just a verse, and we'll pray and get into it. Uh, verse number 1, Isaiah 34, Come near, ye nations, to hear, and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear, and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. God, number one, if you're taking notes, has a message for all the nations. Come, here, come near ye nations and hear. God's got a pretty powerful message for those nations, and I believe he has a message for the nations of the world today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you so much for, for uh, honoring us by having the Overtons with us. And Lord, thank you for that. Would you bless them, keep them safe as they travel, keep them encouraged, provide for their needs, and use them in a great way. Lord, bless tonight this Bible study. Spirit of God, speak to our hearts and, and, and quicken our minds. Lord, I pray, give to us what you'd have for us, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We serve a merciful God. Never forget that. In the midst of this message of judgment, never forget that we, you and I, have a merciful God. Um, an announcement will go out to all the nations, directing the application to the future day of the Lord. So, so they were looking to a judgment with a nation coming, the Assyrians. But this says, come near ye nations, leading me to believe he's talking about a future time. Uh, letter A, Armageddon will be the release of God's stored wrath. And I've used this analogy many times, but God takes and mentions storing up his wrath for the day to come. In my mind, I see this enormous vault in heaven, and only he has the combination to the vault. And ever so often, his people push him so much, he gets angry. He takes that wrath that he could just destroy his people, and he opens up that vault, opens it, he takes that wrath, and he stuffs it in the vault, closes it, and spins the dial until he gets angry once again, only to open it up and put it in there. He's storing his wrath for the day to come. Well, I believe that day will come in the tribulation. 
where he releases his wrath, the wrath of the Lamb. Verse number 2 says, For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. His wrath will be released against the nations. And this, I believe, is a look to the judgment God's prepared against all nations. At the battle of Armageddon, all the world powers will congregate against Israel, only to be destroyed as Christ comes once again. And I want to take you to a passage, Revelation. I'll read a number of verses here. If you want to follow along, I'll let you do that. Revelation 19, beginning at verse 15. And this sets the stage of, uh, of, the, of the passage in Revelation. And I like this because, in my mind, it gives the, the, the New Testament wall. Everything that we're talking about in Isaiah is looking to this New Testament wall of the battle of Armageddon, this destruction, this final destruction of God, of, uh, of the unsaved. And it's written about in Revelation 19:15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with, with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat of the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he de deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. If you take the time to comprehend what's just been read, it turns your stomach. It's a gruesome time of God's judgment, as again he takes an, uh, just a final release of his wrath there during this time. Number two, Armageddon's carnage will be incomprehensible. Verse number three, their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Boy, you walked by in the summertime a dead animal, and that stink as, as the suns hit that animal, and it's just it's rotting there. It's, 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 it's hard to comprehend what it's going to be like in this day as there's so many uh, body, dead bodies. And as they're out there with the sun, a few days, that stink just covering the entire region, the piles of dead bodies will begin to rot and stink in the blistering heat of the sun. There will flow rivers of blood down the sides of the mountains in Israel, eroding the soil as it flows. You say, seriously? Oh, okay. And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Well, I'd never ever until just this study comprehended this. We know about the, the, the blood up to the horse's bridles. We know about that. Well, just imagine a stream, which we'll talk about in a minute, a long stream of blood filled with uh, up to the horse's bridles with blood. Well, as I'm thinking about it, I don't think when somebody gets killed 
they're going to grab on that wound and run over to the stream and then let the blood out. Wherever they die, the blood is going to come out and it's going to be so pervasive, it's going to pool and then little streams are going to run and go into this massive river of blood. But if it happens on the mountain, the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Well, what is it that, that melts mountains? Well, when it rains, it erodes the dirt. It starts coming down, and you see the water. It's no longer nice and clear. It gets brown or whatever color the, the earth happens to be, perhaps red out here. Here it's going to be rivers, little streams of blood coming down the mountains, eroding it as they come. The blood will be so great. In Isaiah 11:4, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. In Revelation 14, 20, And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse's bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Now, I can't prove this. One of our ladies today did a real quick check on her phone, and she said that's about 200 miles. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't know the difference. 200 miles, a stream of blood up to the height of a horse's bridle. That's a whole heap of lot of blood. And that's the amount of blood that has flowed into the stream. That's not counting the blood that was stayed on the ground. Number three. The heavens will unite in a grand display as the Lord returns. Verse 4, And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their host shall fall down as the leaf falleth off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. This seems to describe events as the tribulation draws to a conclusion. The host of heaven falling down likely refers to meteor showers. The Bible talks about stars of heaven falling. Well, understand, if a star, if a star, a singular star, were to fall and hit the earth, the earth would be completely destroyed because the sun is a small star. And so if the sun were to hit the earth, there would be no earth left. So I think what's being talked about here, these, these hosts of heaven, I think it's talking about meteor showers more than likely. There will be celestial events taking place that will be surreal. They will, in effect, be a great fireworks display announcing the return of Christ to earth. In Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So let's get the time frame. At the end of or after the tribulation of those days, after the tribulation, the seven years, shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Letter B. God's example in Edom. We're gonna, God's going to use Edom as an example of one of the Gentile nations that he's, he's, uh, he's, he's casting his fury on. He could have chosen one of many, but he's chosen Edom. Number one, Edom will be included in God's fierce judgment. Verse 5, For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Behold, it shall come down upon Idumea, and upon the people of my curse to judgment. Idumea, another name for Edom. The great battle of Armageddon will stretch deep into Edom, or modern-day Jordan. 
The people there will not escape the fury of the Lord. In Ezekiel 25, verse 12, Thus saith the Lord God, Because that Edom hath dealt against the house of Judah by taking vengeance, and hath greatly offended and revenged himself upon them, therefore thus saith the Lord God, I will also stretch out mine hand upon Edom, and will cut off man and beast from it, and I will make it desolate from Teman, and they of Dedan shall fall by the sword, and I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel, and they shall do in Edom according to mine anger and according to my fury, and they shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord God. Again, God singling out one nation, Edom, but God was angry at those heathen nations, especially the ones that treated uh, his people, Jerusalem, or Judah, uh, uh, Israel, wrong. Number two, Edom will be slain with the sword of the Lord. Verse 6, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is made fat with fatness and with the blood of lambs and goats, with the fat of kidneys of rams. For the Lord hath a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Idumea, Edom. The prophecy here describes the destruction of Edom in the image of a great sacrifice. Edom will be slain with the sword of the Lord becoming stained with the blood of lambs and goats and rams, the fitting picture of Edom's demise. He calls it here a great slaughter. In Isaiah 63, 1, Who is it, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness mighty to save. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the winefat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people that was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. God is saying, the judgment that I procure is going to cast their blood on my garments. I told the folks this afternoon, when, before my father-in-law died, he went into a time of Alzheimer's and, and, and dementia and wasn't always thinking straight. And one time he went in to do some remodeling in his bathroom. He took with him a circular saw. He shouldn't have ought to done that because he about cut his leg off. He hit one of the main arteries there. And the, the, honestly, the, uh, the bathroom looked like a crime scene with blood all just coming on the walls. And it was really, really, really gruesome. Um, nothing like what this is going to be like. I've been told that if you get into, if you shoot somebody, then typically there'll be blood splatter on your own garments. Did you notice that as God brings his judgment here, there'll be blood spatter on his own garments? Number three, the land will become soaked with blood from Armageddon. Verse seven, and the unicorns shall come down with them and the bullocks with the bulls. Notice the next phrase and their land shall be soaked with blood, and their dust made fat with fatness. I'd never comprehended this before, but understand, in order for the, the blood to get in the stream, it has to travel there. Well, all the blood's not going to end up in the stream. Much of the blood will stay on the top of the ground or soak into the ground. Here it says the land will be soaked with blood. When the, when the, when the ground becomes saturated, it can't take anymore, then the runoff will occur, just like water. The runoff will occur, causing the blood to go into the stream. Unicorns could possibly refer to some kind of a single-horned animal. What kind of a single-horned animal do we know of today? 
a rhino. You didn't say unicorn. <laughs> a rhinoceros, right. I don't know. I don't know. Some kind of a, possibly a single horned animal. It could also be some animal that's long extinct. In Ezekiel 32, verse 14, Then will I leave thee upon the land. I will cast thee forth upon an open field. I will cause all the fowls of the heaven to remain upon thee. And I will fill the beasts of the whole earth with thee. Number four, God's wrath will be on display during the tribulation. Verse eight, for it is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for, notice, the controversy of Zion. The tribulation will be a day in which the stored wrath of God will be unleashed on his enemies. The tensions of the Middle East, and I think that's an appropriate phrase, wouldn't you? The Middle East constantly under a tense situation with some country or several countries. The tensions of the Middle East over land rights and oil rights will be settled once and for all by the Lord's decisive victory. Malachi 4.1, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and following. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. And the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Number five, the land will become a flame and the sky black with smoke. Verse 9, And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. Most of us in here would have a pretty clear memory of images on television of the Middle East, what looked like the entire Middle East was on flames under Saddam Hussein when he set the oil fields on fire and our television cameras showed and the entire sky was black and it looked like the entire land was covered with, with flame and with, with smoke. Um, that's, that's a small, tiny picture of what it's going to be like in this day. Because the Middle East is so rich in oil, much of the oil right under the surface, God igniting those, those oil fields, burning that entire region there. In Psalm 11, 6, Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Brimstone. What's brimstone like? It has a, has a very, very unique smell. Sulfur, yeah. Which smells like what? Rotten eggs, yeah. Rotten eggs. I'm told that hellfire, fire and brimstone, burning in hell, this awful, awful heat with your, your senses in your nose from that sulfur, not be able to get away from that. Number six, the fires of Armageddon will continue to rage. Verse 10, it shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever from generation to generation. It shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. The area described here, which I think is part of the Battle of Armageddon, 
will apparently burn continually even during the millennium as a reminder of the fierce judgment of the Lamb. Number seven, the area will become a wasteland. Verse 11, but the cormorant and the bittern shall possess it. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it, and he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stones of emptiness. Well, once again, we're not sure of these animals. The cormorant is called a pelican in Psalms 102, verse 6. Don't know for sure. The bittern, I'm told, is likely a hedgehog or a porcupine. The point is, scavenging animals, scavengers, will take over this land. It'll be uninhabitable, it'll be a wasteland, and, and wild animals will take over. God will survey the land or stretch out a line upon it and find nothing but confusion and desolation. In Lamentations 2 and verse 8, the Lord hath purposed to destroy the wall of the daughter of Zion. He hath stretched out a line. He hath not withdrawn his hand from destroying. Therefore, he made the rampart and the wall to lament. They languished together. For, uh, number eight, none will be left to bring order. Verse 12, they shall call the nobles thereof to the kingdom, but none shall be there, and all her princes shall be nothing. They shall call the nobles thereof to the kingdom. Well, who's the they? Well, it seems to go back to the creatures of verse number 11. As a demeaning picture of the effects of God's judgment, it looks like the wild animals are going to call out for somebody to take charge. Somebody. Somebody. This is crazy. Somebody. You just hear the animals. Somebody. Take charge. This is crazy. There's chaos here. Isaiah 41, 24. Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. Number nine, the residences of the wealthy will be desolate. Verse 13, and thorns shall come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof, and it shall be an habitation of dragons and a court for owls. So during this time, the fancy estates of the wealthy, along with the forts built for defense, will be abandoned and overtaken by weeds and wild animals. Just imagine the fanciest, fanciest, most incredible, opulent palaces, these mansions, these mega million dollar mansions that will be uninhabitable because between the animals and the being overtaken by the, the, uh, the brush. Isaiah 50 and verse 11. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks that ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. Number 10, unnatural mingling of wild animals will occur. I found this interesting as well. Verse 14, the wild beasts of the desert shall also meet with the wild beasts of the island. And the satire shall cry to his fellow. The screech owl also shall rest there and find for herself a place of rest. I don't know, but the animals of the desert, who don't typically get along with the islands of uh, the ones of the island, are going to get together. There'll be unnatural combinations or cohabitation going on during this time. The satire, according to my references, was a type of wild goat that was inhabiting or will inhabit this area. Number 11, only scavengers will survive Armageddon's aftermath. 
Verse 15, There shall the great owl make her nest, and lay and hatch and gather under her shadow. There shall the vultures also be gathered, every one with her mate. Just a continuation of the devastation from the Armageddon. Number 12, instructions for those enduring the tribulation. We're going to get just a little sneak peek of God's mercy here. Look at verse number 16. Seek ye out the book of the Lord, he says, and read. No one of these shall fail. None shall want her mate, for my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. God apparently gives instructions to those experiencing the horrors of the tribulation to open their Bibles and read. He may be directing them to the explanation given that I read earlier in Revelation 19, 17. Um, Come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God. <laughs> Describing Armageddon. Number 13, Edom will be a perpetual wasteland. Verse 17, And he hath cast the lot for them, and his hand hath divided it unto them by line. They shall possess it forever. From generation to generation shall they dwell therein. God has surveyed and marked out the land of Edom for a perpetual habitation of wild animals. Apparently, throughout the millennium, this land will be uninhabitable for any except creatures. Edom will suffer a fate similar to that of Babylon. Isaiah 13, verse 19, And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees' excellency, shall be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It shall never be inhabited, neither shall it be dwelt in from generation to generation, neither shall the Arabian pitch tent there, neither shall the shepherds make their fold there, but wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures, and owls shall dwell there, and satires shall dance there. And that finishes chapter 34. And we take a breath and we say, good night. This, this, this message of judgment is just almost too much to bear. The battle of Armageddon is too overwhelming when you realize that God is going to destroy the unsaved there. We talked about it uh, today. Somebody asked a question. But, but I used to really have a hard time comprehending. I think I've mentioned it here. The Bible talks about, and all Israel shall be saved. Say, glory to God, what kind of revival is it going to take for all Israel to be saved? Well, it's an interesting revival. It's going to be a revival when Jesus Christ returns at the end of the tribulation and, and, uh, and destroys all of the unsaved. Well, if all of the wicked, the unsaved, are destroyed, who's left living? The saved. So stepping into the millennium, Jesus will take all saved people with him into the millennium. All Israel will be saved at that time <laughs> because all the unsaved were killed. Let's look at the millennium. Chapter 35. Number two, the grand restoration. Letter A, the millennial new life. Verse 1, chapter 35. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Already we're catching a little breath of fresh air. There's been no blossoming in this past chapter. There's been, there's been nothing glad about the last chapter. But the very first verse of chapter 35 gives us a little hope, a little hope here. Well, number one, the millennium will bring forth life and growth. Life and growth. This chapter changes the focus to the time of the millennium. 
the restoration of the world has been destroyed, or the rest of, of the world has been destroyed by sin. The scorched earth will rejoice in that day with a future of growth and blooming. From a desolate wasteland, the Lord will make a lush garden-like habitation. Hallelujah. In Romans 8, beginning of verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creature, or creation, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The millennium will be a restoration of God's creation. Number two, Israel will blossom lavishly in that day. Verse 2, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given into it and the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. The land of Israel in that day will flourish under the care of the Lord of Lords. The land will blossom incredibly. Lebanon is famous for its lush vegetation and thick forests while Carmel and Sharon receive much moisture. All the land of Israel will be watered like those regions in the day of Christ's reign. Letter B, tribulation encouragements. Could there be anything encouraging during the tribulation? <laughs> Number one, God's message of encouragement to His people. Verse three, strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. I believe God's message was directed to those Jews who had turned to Christ during the tribulation. Amidst all the carnage and chaos they had witnessed, God was imploring them to look to Him and find strength to carry on till He returns. In Isaiah 40, verse 1 and 2, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Number two, to the tribulation saints, be strong. Say to them that are, verse four, say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. To those going through the tribulation that have turned to Christ, Already facing persecution, life could not get worse. God said, let me give you some encouragement. <laughs> he said, be strong, don't fear. God, your God, will come with vengeance. God says, I'm the one that's got the last word here. Isaiah 25, 9, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. Let us see more millennial healing. Number one, there will be physical healing in the millennium. Verse five, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Much of Jesus' ministry while He was here on earth was healing. Healing the blind, healing the deaf, raising from the dead. But that was only a foretaste 
of the complete healing that will take place in the millennium. All blind eyes will see, all deaf ears will hear. Isaiah 29, 17 and 18. Is it not yet a very little while? And Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. And in that day shall all the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Number two, the people and the land, two things, the people and the land will be healed in that day. Verse six, then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. There will be no handicap, no one lame, nor any unable to speak, as they will be healed by the great physician in that day. The region will become well watered, and the vegetation will become lush. That which is desert today will become like a giant oasis because of the water. Isaiah 41, 17, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the, and the dry land springs of water. Number three, the desert of today will become a beautiful garden in the millennium. Verse 7, And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water, in the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. That which is arid and desert today in southern Israel will become garden-like because of the infusion of water. Those places where today only dragons or reptiles like lizards and snakes will be grown over with green pastures and marshes. In Isaiah 41, 18, I will open rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Number four, a superhighway will provide access to Jerusalem. <laughs> Verse eight, and an highway shall be there and a way. And it should be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. I believe that one of the early projects of the millennium will apparently be the establishment of a superhighway leading to Jerusalem. It or they will be called the way of holiness. Their purpose will be to provide access for the masses of dispersed Jews returning to their homeland during that time. The highways will apparently be limited, however, to the redeemed Jews. Gentiles will not be allowed. Think of the express lanes we currently have. Big signs flashing, no Gentiles, is how they'll be going on that time. The phrase, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not err therein, could be expressed, travelers on the road, though once Christ rejecting fools, will no longer go astray. Isaiah 52, 1, Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Number five, the holy city will be a place of safety and or peace and safety. 
place of peace and safety. Verse 9, no lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go thereupon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. The city of Jerusalem will be a haven for safety. There'll be no fear of any wild animal, only complete freedom to walk the streets without fear of any kind of attack or harassment. Isaiah 11:9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And number six, redeemed Israel will sing songs of praise to Jesus. Verse 10, and the ransom to the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. From all parts of the globe, redeemed Jews will return to Jerusalem to join in the song of the redeemed. They will longingly return to join in corporate worship in the temple in Jerusalem, singing the songs of their transformed lives in Christ. No longer would their song be the morbid tones of their long pre-Christ pilgrimage, but now they'll lift their heads and sing from the depths of their souls the songs of praise to Jesus. All sorrow and sighing of their past will flee away. Isaiah 25, 8, He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. And that's chapter 10. And I'm so glad that God gave us a chapter, or chapter 35, chapter 35 after chapter 34, because he knew we couldn't take it. As you're reading through, I don't know, as you're reading through Isaiah just in your devotions, don't you get bogged down sometimes? Whoa, it gets heavy. It's just nice to know if you keep reading long enough, you're going to catch a breath of fresh air. I tend to think God knew that. Let's have a prayer. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love and your blessing and for giving us this incredible passage of Scripture. And Lord, though we are not going to be here during the tribulation, I am so grateful that you gave us these passages because it's very possible that we know some people living right now who are going to go through it. And Lord, it grieves me and it motivates me to want to tell them about you. So please, Lord, I pray that you might use this study for more than just knowledge. Lord, help us to be burdened about the souls of your of our people. Lord, I pray that you might uh, help us to look to you and indeed to be encouraged by the fact that you're in control and you have the future all designed and planned out. Lord, as we see the chaos of the world around us, help us not get overly discouraged about that. Lord, help us to look up and to see you and to realize from your perspective, everything's all right. Lord, thank you for this time. Go with us, I pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.